All right, let's get into the Word. Hold your place there in Galatians chapter 5. That's where we've been the last few weeks. And we're also going to be in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 13. So I'll let you find your place there. And as you're doing that, I want to ask you a question that you may have never been asked in church before, especially from the stage. And I want you to think really hard. What gets you ticked off? Not just a little, not just a little perturbed, as they say, but I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking red face, flip a wig type of ticked off, hacked off, mad. Think about it. What gets you really fired up? You know, for some of us, the point of I'm okay to getting really fired up is not that long. It's sometimes it can be quick. And I was doing some research on this and uh, I checked out ranker.com and here are the 10 according to an internet survey. So if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. Except for Abraham Lincoln said not everything on the internet is true, right? And uh, some people get that next week. It's okay. Here is the survey. Here is the study. Which of these incredibly annoying pet peeves is the worst? And here is number 10 all the way to number one. Number 10 Pet peeve, people who think they're overly annoying children are the cutest little angels. <laughs> Not going to say anything about that. No commentary. Number nine, people who don't know about personal space. Can I get a witness? Come on. I mean, the brother eats garlic for breakfast every day and you're here and the bubble is here, but he's all up in your grill. You know, I mean, whether any type of body odor or mouth odor, I mean, it's just all over. And people, some people have space issues and that must be a pet peeve that makes us impatient and ticked off. Number eight, parking a car across two spaces. I think that one just hit a nerve within Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Number seven, people who don't cover their cough sneeze. They just have the gift of sharing, right? Whatever I have, I can share it with you. Number six, chewing with your mouth open. So they want to let you see what they're eating. Number five, using the word literally incorrectly for you grammar Nazis. All right. Number four, cutting in line. Number three, talking during the movie. Number two, I have to confess. My wife had to tell me the other day, she said, you know, you're still saved when you drive. (laughs) Number two, driving too slow in the fast lane. Okay. 122 North to Lynchburg, you get behind a person, it's like it's 4.5 miles an hour, not 45. And you and Jesus are having some conversations. So number one, according to this study, the number one pet peeve, I think this is hilarious, People who never shut up and talk over you constantly. You know? Like it doesn't matter what the conversation is. They, they, they're just waiting to jump in. They don't care what you have to say. They're just like, when can I start talking about something important again, which is obviously myself. Now, if you're perfect and you came here, you're like, I don't get upset at any of that. We hope that you write your own Bible and would you sign ours. All right. But for the rest of us sinners living in this world... Patience can be a challenge. Amen? Like, 
struggling against impatience and anger and anxiety and getting ticked off at people. And what happens with a lot of us is that when we have those clashes and we get upset at people, some of us, we don't handle it biblically. We don't talk it out. We don't go to Matthew chapter 18 in the Bible, which says if someone offends you, go and show them the fault between the two of you. We go tell other people about what the person did. So now the issue with that original person is not resolved, but it's simply festering in our heart, right? We're growing more bitter against them. And then all of these other people get to take up sides because they don't even know if you're telling the truth. So then we live in this world where we've got relationships that are messed up, job situations that are messed up. And honestly, if we could be really honest, all of us are a little bit messed up. And it's when we don't think that we have issues that we have actually the biggest issue. And this is Another sermon for another time, but it illustrates the concept of humility before God. In Luke chapter 18, there was a guy, he had swindled people, he was a fraud, he was a scumbag. He went into the the, the, the sanctuary there and he laid down before the Lord. He just was beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then there was a Pharisee who went there. Guess what his prayer was? He's looking around at everybody else. He sees this guy who had obviously been a sinner. Isn't it easy to do that when we see people who have really, quote unquote, sinned and sinned big? Being like, gum. I mean, he could have toned it back a notch. I know we're all sinners, right? Here's what this guy did. He looked at him and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. Guess who God said went away justified and who went away condemned? Humility. Being able to look within, to look in the mirror, to come to God's word and say, you know what, God, I don't have everything figured out. And I never will completely, but I do know that I am a great sinner and you're a great savior. And that's really where we come to Galatians chapter 5, what we've been talking about. It's such, it's such a foreign concept because in our minds... We think we've got to improve. We've got to do better at this. And if I do better, then God's going to be able to give me the you're approved sticker. But what we find in the Bible is that that's impossible. I mean, if you're God and you're right, you're given the Bible, wouldn't you want to tell them what they can do? I mean, if you've ever tried to build something, you look at the instructions or you look on YouTube. But if it's basically, here's the video, it's 10 seconds, you can't do anything about it. What do you do? That allows you to see the need for the Savior. The point of the Old Testament was to bring us to the point to where we realize that we need a Savior, that we can't be good enough, we can't earn our way into heaven, we can't be what God requires us to be. So in Galatians chapter 5, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it means that when we get saved, that God begins to build things inside of us that were never there before. He begins to give us a special kind of patience that we never thought was possible. For some of you that listen to an old school rock, Guns N' Roses, their song, Patience. This is a line in the song, just a little patience is all you need. Can we just agree together that that would probably be good for all of us? You guys just agree with Guns N' Roses. Sunday morning. But here's the thing. The songs of the secular world sometimes say what we need is a little more love. What we need is patience. But nobody knows how to get it unless you go to Jesus. Do you see the difference? You can listen. Yeah, it's amazing the truths sometimes that stand out in a secular song because like they're talking about, well, then you've got these problems in relationships and these problems in culture. But if Jesus is not there, it's like, we've got problems, problems. Here's what we need. But where do you find it? Galatians chapter 5 blows all of that away and it's saying that outside of God, the only thing that we can produce is the fruit of the flesh. And it says that all of those who have not 
been born again, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Basically, this is crazy. The way the Bible begins to to explain life change is to say, if this is not evident in your life, you're going to hell. That's not a popular way to explain a new subject. But the beautiful part is that when we see that's where we're heading without Christ, we first see our need for him. And that's where we come to Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. And this dovetails, it connects with what we're studying in Galatians chapter 5. And this is what the Bible says for those who have been saved. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So that's who we really are in Christ if we've been saved. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and help me out. Patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, here's the connection. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must, what? Forgive. What we're going to unpack this morning is that patience is incredibly powerful. For some of us, we think that patience, and if you have your notes, why don't you just follow along with us when we say, well, what is patience? Some of us think that patience is just being passive. It means just sitting there waiting for something to happen. But according to the New Bible Dictionary, I thought this is a great statement, so it's in your notes, is that biblical patience is a God-centered or God-given restraint in the face of opposition or oppression. It is not passivity. It means that when we are exercising the gift of patience that God gives us, it doesn't mean that you just sit down and wait for something to happen. If you're taking notes, write down Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. It says, So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. What it means is that patience and faith are tied together. It means that they are gifts from God. But if we don't put gifts into practice, then they don't do you much good. So this is for those uh, who enjoy getting deep into the scriptures. We're going to look at several words that are used in the Bible for, for the idea of patience. Number one, it's in your notes. It's the Greek word hupomene. It literally means patience or endurance. It's what you do in suffering. It literally, it's a combination word. It means to live or abide under. And for some of you that are struggling with chronic pain or relational issues or you have a child that's running from Jesus, you know that it can be difficult to be patient because you're literally every day living under a load. It's closely associated with endurance. In James chapter 1, for those of you ladies that are part of the ladies Bible study, you go through the book of James, and it says that let patience or endurance have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It means that when we fall into trials, when we fall into difficult things, that God leads us through those trials and patience living under that trial produces almost like a strength of character. It's almost like God saying, when I save you, I'm putting you in the battle. I'm putting you in the battle for souls. And because I love you, I'm going to allow or I'm going to cause, I'm going to bring things into your life that are very difficult that you're living under so that people can see the power of myself in your life, but also it allows you to be able to gain strength to endure. So there's the idea of living under a burden. There's also another word, and that's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And it's the word macrothumia. 
So you can just throw that out at lunch. All right? And then you can have your notes and just wax eloquent about how you went to church and you learned Greek. So here is the idea. If you have a King James Version, this is a really cool translation of the word. Most of the time it's translated long-suffering. Long-suffering. Like sometimes when you volunteer to babysit kids and the parents are out later and later and later. You are having patience. You are suffering long. Are y'all okay this morning? Come on. It means a state of mind. Here's the difference between the words. The first word, to live under, to have endurance, means it's what we do in suffering. But long-suffering is what we think about suffering while we're suffering. You see the distinction there? It has to do with an outlook on suffering. It doesn't mean that you sit there and simply do nothing. But it simply means that we look at suffering through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of Scripture. Then there's a Hebrew word, um, erek, which means uh, long or slow to anger. And it's the Hebrew parallel with the Greek word found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, macrothumia. So really, and this, this is so cool, when you read the Old Testament, you find time and time again to where God says, I am patient. And even if God never said that, you can look at how crazy the Israelites were and be like, God, you must be a God of patience. Right? Like if you've read the Old Testament at all, like God gives these crazy, huge, undeniable miracles. And then the people like a few weeks later, like, I'm not sure if God can really take care of us. He's like, I just whacked the whole Egyptian army. Like, really? And then they're doubting again. They're doubting again. So God in the Old Testament says and shows time and time again that I am patient, that I have long-suffering. So when the Bible tells us in the New Testament, this is so huge, to exercise patience with others, what it's saying is act like the one you love and act like the one who loves you. You see the connection there between patience? It's not just something that we read about, that we try to do to be a better person. But when we get saved, our life begins to be pointed towards Jesus. It means that our life begins to be, so to, you could say it, that it begins to be conformed to Jesus. Um, Romans chapter 8 verse 29, this is what the Bible says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What this means is that when God saves us, he begins to make us into the image of Jesus. I think it's amazing if you've ever seen people um, take like a, a piece of glass and they take out the burner and they begin to form something beautiful from this piece of glass or even to see someone take a huge chunk of marble and they have the know-how they begin to chip away at that marble and it looks less like what it used to be and more like what the creator or we could say the artist is creating it to be the idea is that when we get saved god begins to cut off the areas of our life, pruning, if you want to imagine that example, to prune us to be more like Jesus. Now, we've got people in our culture that really want to be somebody else. Whether it's an Elvis impersonator. You ever seen Elvis impersonator? I think it's just incredible. I mean, the guy has that much cultural power. I remember I was in Iron City, Georgia. I had gone to church right after, or gone to, to eat after church, and they had an Elvis impersonator come in and it was, I was just blown away. I wanted to go up and just shake his hand. 
and then tell all the senior ladies at church that I got to shake Elvis's hand, right? And so you've got this idea that sometimes people have this idea, whether it's Miley Cyrus, Bruce Lee, whether, I mean, any type of, of person that we look up to, it's interesting sometimes how we begin to almost act like them, talk like them, conform to who we truly love. And so the question for us is, who do our behavior patterns really reflect? If someone were to watch us and were to hear us talk, who would they say we love and respect most? And so here's what we're going to look at right now. We're going to look at the power of patience through the gospel. In other words, how does patience begin to change us? And really, how is patience a practical thing that we need in everyday life? Number one, patience is a main ingredient of strength. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 verse 11, may you be strengthened, catch this, with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. Now for some of us, we think once again that patience means that I just wait. It means that I'm the guy rocking in the chair on the porch and I just wait for God to do something. Like I don't do anything. I don't serve the Lord. I don't put my, you know, feet to my prayers. What patience is, is it is tied together with strength. You see, patience is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Why? Because if it was not for the patience of God, none of us would be able to have a chance of a relationship with God. And if we didn't have a chance at a relationship with God, we would never be able to receive the love of God. And if we could never receive the love of God, that means all of our relationships in life are always going to be shallow and empty and hollow because God designed us to love him and to be able to express his love to other people. So patience and strength are connected. But also, this is very practical. When you read the book of Proverbs, that patience is an antidote. It's a cure that keeps people from controlling you. Listen to what Proverbs says. Chapter 16, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 25.28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You see, for some of us, when we struggle with anger... We think that when someone challenges us or tries to push our buttons, the only way that some of us were ever raised is if somebody challenges you, the way that you handle that, man, is you get mad back to them and you respond physically or verbally, right? But according to Proverbs, having patience, the patience of God, the self-control of the Holy Spirit means that we no longer allow other people to control us. Because if you have a short temper, what you have probably found out in your life is that some people have the gift of provocation. Come on. Like they like to just see things burn. They will come and they will push your buttons because they know when they try to get you to fight, to get you to argue, there's no self-control there. It's a city without walls. You are absolutely defenseless. You're there trying to mind your own business and all of a sudden they try to start a fight and what do you do? Automatically, right? It's time to fight. It's time to argue. And some people, they don't even have the gift of provocation. They just see a a huge keg of gunpowder, a tiny fuse, and they've got a box of matches. Why don't I just flick one and see what happens? 
And then even more so, for some of us that struggle with anger, it's not that people are trying to push your buttons. It's not that they just want to see what will happen, but they're just plain irritating. I mean, there's some people who say, you know what, Jeff, I just struggle. And you say, what do you struggle with? I talked to one guy, he said, stupid people. Stupid people is what I struggle with. Like, I work with stupid people, Jeff, and, and, and the, the people we do business with. Like, sometimes the things they do and say, it just makes me want to go off because they're so dumb. Now, again, there may be some of you that have never thought that or said that about anybody. And we thank you for gracing us with your presence. But for the rest of us sinners... When we have those, when we have those emotions that well up, this is where patience is so incredibly powerful. Because sometimes the fights that we get into, whether it's marriage or the whole family or at work, listen, they happen because we are not walking in the spirit and we are absolutely defenseless because when they want to throw down, when they want to fight, we have no defense. That's where patience can be so powerfully practical. To where instead of responding to those, to those button pushing, uh, irritations, we're able to say, you know what? Lord, give me strength. Focus on the blood of Jesus. Seriously. And as we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, our ability to have patience is not counting to ten. Alright? Now, if, if you've, if you've got a loaded gun and you're about to, like, count to ten, right? Like, there's different ways that you can decrease the out, or the, I guess the fallout of sin. But what we, for Christians, the grounding point for where our patience begins to grow and, and mature goes back to how patient has God been with me? You're working with somebody, you've got somebody, you're like, I have no reason, I don't know what their problem is, like they really, I don't think they could be happy anywhere. Like they literally, wherever they go, they cause problems and now they're with you. But God is sovereign, amen? Sovereign means that God is in control of everything, even bad things. But he's able to work it together for good. Because you see, if you love Jesus, maybe we've got people here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church been saved a long time. Some people have been saved not too long. Like, I just want to serve the Lord. I want to learn more about Jesus. I want to be like Jesus more and more. And guess what Jesus does? He says, okay, one of my aspects of who I am is patience. You know, the Lord rarely ever just says, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give them patience. I'm just going to fill up the syringe with patience and fill them full with it. You know what he does? He allows us to be around irritating people, frustrating circumstances, so that, seriously, so that through that situation, through that person, we can learn how to exhibit the character of Jesus Christ. And for some of us, if we can be honest, Especially if you can remember growing up, some of the people who irritated us most are our family members. Right? Like it's whether your brother, I mean, my brother Josh, the whole chewing with his mouth open thing. I mean, there'll be times that at the table, mom's trying to civilize her four barbarian sons and to where he knew it irritated me and she'd look away and he'd just, you know, and just, it's just disgusting and you just want to kick him under the table and then you get in trouble. Like growing up, in a family, you can, I mean, you can be irritated by everybody there. You're like, oh Lord, if you had just given me different family members, I wouldn't have this much anger. You ever said that? Like God, you're sovereign, but you gave me this for a sister? Like he's my, like really? Like out of all the people that you could have caused to be born with DNA wiring, like this is my brother. Like he's not even right. Once again, God is sovereign. He wants what is best for us. 
And there was a Bible teacher that I heard many years ago, and he said, the reason why God has given you the family members that you have is to be able to, through the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to practice the spiritual gift disciplines of patience and of love and of joy. Because if everything's going smooth, you could compare it to working out. If the muscle never gets resistance, if it never gets pushed back, it atrophies. But the reason why God has given us the family members that he's given us is so that we can glorify him by exercising for today's message, patience. You see, patience is powerful because it frees you from having to react in anger to people who are there just to push your buttons. Patience also, this is where, this, you see, this is where the Bible really hits home, where it's so practical. Patience not only allows you to be able to deal with that, but also to work through difficult people. Proverbs chapter 15, excuse me, 25 verse 15. It says, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1, <clears throat> it says that a soft answer turns away wrath. You know, for some of us, the way that we relate to people, it may be that the Holy Spirit needs to do a complete rewiring. Because some of us, we were raised in homes to where you got loud. If someone challenged you, you challenged them even more. And that simply ends in mutually assured destruction. Some of you remember years ago the Soviet idea of, you know, they've got nuclear weapons, we've got nuclear weapons, so we both knew that if somebody launched nuclear weapons, everybody would be dead. That's usually the way that we operate in many relationships if we're not under the power of the Lord and we don't even realize it. But patience allows you to be able to work through difficult people. You say, Jeff, I want to serve the Lord, but my husband or wife, they don't even come. Like, they don't get it. They think it's crazy. They're like, you gave what to missions? Like, seriously, why would you do that? We need, and they, you see, Jeff, I try to explain, but they don't understand. Have patience and remember how patient God has been with you. You see, patience with others is rooted in, it is grounded in God's patience with us. And for me to have people around me and begin to act in impatience and anger, what it's saying is that when we do that, it's saying I deserve better. Right? Because they're doing stuff that makes me mad, stuff that ticks me off. They shouldn't do that because you see, Jeff, I deserve for them to act up to this plateau of behavior. But they're not, so therefore I'm going to get angry because I obviously deserve better than what they're giving me. Now listen, there's never an excuse to treat someone unkind, right? Be a jerk to somebody. But I want to let you know this morning, what you deserve and what I deserve is hell. Anything better than that is mercy. So even if you married someone and you say, Jeff, I, he or she's different. Like I married them back then, but they've changed. They just, they, they're, they're, it's not the way it used to be. Or I've got a child and they just don't respect me at all. Listen, at the worst, the takeaway from that would be that you could grow to be more like Jesus. Because you see, Jesus was persecuted unjustly. And really, for most of us, the reason why people react against us is because we're partly a jerk. Okay? Like, like most of the time in the home or in relationships, people don't react to us because they go to Rocky Mount Baptist Church. 
I'm going to make their life a living Hades. Like that's not the way that it normally works. The way that it normally works is we have a thought, attitude, word that's not right. And that sets people off. It's not Christ honoring is the reason why we get kicked back is because we're not being like Jesus. But even in those times where we're trying to serve the Lord and people are giving us a hard time about it, the worst thing that could happen would be that we would be like Jesus because he was persecuted for righteousness sake because he was righteous. You say, well, Jeff, what happens when you you deal with those difficult people? Here's some questions to kind of have with an internal dialogue. Number one, ask yourself, how long did I resist the Lord before I got saved? If this person, if you think like they're never going to get it, how, how long was it? Some of us, you see, some of us, we resisted the grace of God for years and years and years, but God still showed us his patience. You say, Jeff, what do you ask beyond that? You can even say, you know what? How has God shown his patience to me? It's amazing how God has shown his patience. That if we could all be honest, like if we were God, we could ask the question, if I was God, how would I have treated me? Like if I had, if someone had treated me the way that I've treated the grace and the mercy and the patience of God, I wouldn't be here, but through God's mercy, we have been here. Do we realize how patient God has been with us? It is absolutely mind-blowing that some of us are here today because God has shown us his patience. And not only that, God has shown us his patience and grace by giving us health and giving us jobs, giving us family and friends when many of us were even running away from him. I mean, I don't know about you, but normally the human response is not, let's find my biggest enemy and give him some gifts. We don't do that. Like, let me, let, let me go through the bank account and pull out a Benjamin and give it to the person who treats me like a piece of garbage. We don't interact that way, but God's grace and his patience is absolutely incredible. Even when we run from him, God gives us patience. You see, and I think the greatest evidence of God's patience with us is that he doesn't allow our hearts, don't miss this, to get hard to the point that we can no longer hear his voice. There can be a place to where a person gets to when they reject the grace of God time and time again. Whether it's at church or whether it's at home, the gospel is presented to say, you know what, Jesus knows your baggage, he knows your past, you know you're a sinner, and he is here today. He is willing to save you. And they say, no, no, no. Each time there's a film, you could say, a hardness that builds up. And it is God's grace that some of us have not reached the point where we can no longer hear his precious voice. Then we can even ask the question and say, well, how have I failed God even after he saved me? There's none of us in here that once we got saved, we've always done what is right, right? But has God given up on us? He's not. Based on our performance, how would we respond if we were God? Many of us, we would cut people off. You see, the human, the natural human tendency for all of us is to live with our finger on the trigger. When someone does us wrong, to pull the trigger and say, they need justice, they did this, they gossiped about me, they need to be out of my life. But praise God that he shows us what patience really is. And you see, God shows us his patience even after he saves us, even after he transforms our heart. He is still there and he picks us up when we fall. He He's still there when we fall and when we stumble and sometimes when we're rebellious, even after he saved us. He's there 
and he picks us up and he reminds us that I am more than enough for you. In the Bible, when the prodigal son had gone off and done all sorts of shameful things, when the father saw him, the father ran to him. You see, that's the picture of Jesus. That's the picture of patience. And praise God for his patience. Can I get an amen? Praise God for his patience that he gave us years. For some of us, we resisted. We resisted the grace of God, but he still sent people who loved us. He still had a family member or a mom or a dad who prayed for us. And praise God for the patience of God. Because if it wasn't for that, we would have no hope. We wouldn't be here. We would have been in hell long ago. But this is where the power of patience is so amazing that the patience of God allows us to have the chance for a relationship with God. And then through that, he gives us the ability to be patient, to be patient with, as my friend said, with stupid people in difficult situations. It all goes back to the gospel of how God has treated me, how he has responded to me. And our ability to be patient with people is grounded in the power of God's patience, which is the gospel. 